listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Good evening, family. It's good to be with you guys. Happy Good Friday. That feels weird to say. Happy Good Friday. But it's joyous because we get to be together this morning. Not this morning, this evening. I'm so used to saying this morning. Let's stand and let's worship together. King Jesus. Christ. 
before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our, of our rebellion, crushed by our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all.
I'm sure if you looked around you, you would agree. 
Um, that being said, there's still some beauty and valuable things that remain. Um, I was reading an article this week and, uh, about vi valuable items that exist in the world, and I uh, came across uh, a few particularly valuable things and what they're worth. Um, apparently, there's this organization named uh, Heinzmann & Company that produced the world's most expensive piano, uh, made entirely out of crystal. Uh, it was played, last played in public at the Summer Olympics in Beijing in 2008, uh, before it was retired. Um, I, I didn't know musical instruments get retirements, but that is a thing. Its uh, worth is estimated at $3.2 million for a piano. Um, not only that, but uh, Christie's Auction House in Hong Kong once sold a 14.23 carat pink diamond to an anonymous buyer in 2012 for just over $23 million. Whoever the buyer was, I really hope his fiance said yes. Um, and then Jeff Bezos, you may have heard of him, he runs this little website called Amazon. I just kind of, you know, had to be there to know what that is. No. He, um, he bought a clock one time that is said to have been designed to run for 10,000 years. Uh, it cost him $42 million, which is like coffee for him, but you know, for the rest of us, is uh, crazy. Um, now, if you're here tonight for this service, it is highly likely that you know by now why we're here and what I'm going to be sharing with you. But before I get there, I just want to say that these examples prove a point that in this world, things of great value often come at a great price. To gain something truly valuable, a price has to be paid. That being said, crystals, whether they're in a piano or not, can shatter. Diamonds can break. And even clocks that run for 10,000 years will one day run out of time. Regardless of how much money is spent on these extravagant items, none of them last forever. But tonight, in this moment, the gift of eternal salvation is available to you. And it is available now, and once received, it does not stop. It does not break. It will not shatter. The gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sin, was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna get going right now. Our big idea for this evening is our salvation is made possible through the suffering of Jesus. From the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. When through deception, they chose to pursue their own equality with God rather than being content and grateful for the gift that God had already provided. From that moment, restoration of the relationship between God and humanity was a necessary thing to be achieved. We call this atonement. In other words, how we can once again be at one with God. Our first observation is, is it's a pretty clear one. Um, so when we take into account the pain mankind has felt over the course of history, and looking back to where we began, our first observation tonight is that humanity suffers because of sin. Old Testament scholar Eugene Merrill, he says the following regarding biblical atonement. He says, how, how does atonement work? The first indirect Old Testament reference to atonement occurs when God provided animal skins to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness, an act necessitating the death of a sinless animal and hence the shedding of its blood on their behalf. This introduces a theme that runs throughout the Bible. Atonement involves an innocent party taking the punishment that was due to a guilty party. This notion is reinforced again in Hebrews 9.22. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. I feel like reading that one again. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But all throughout the, test, the Old Testament, these sacrifices that would atone for sins, uh, they were just like the pianos, the diamonds, and clocks. They only last for so long. They do not last forever. To ultimately 
finally, once and for all, atone for the sins of humanity, it couldn't be an innocent animal. It had to be an innocent human. But how in the world can we get an innocent human when all mankind is born into the curse of sin? God looks down at his creation with love in his heart. The thing at the very beginning, he looks down before he takes a rest and says, this is very good. He looks at that and he says, in a manner of speaking, all right, I'll do it myself. Arguably, the most familiar verse in the entire Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God sends his son to take on our humanity, to take on our suffering, that he might be our ultimate and final atonement. Which leads us to our next observation. The son of God suffers with us. Back in December, we made a big deal about God being with us, Emmanuel. He didn't just come to be born with us, he came to suffer with us. Jesus endured both immeasurable humility and immeasurable pain in giving up his place in heaven to live among us and be our atonement. He experiences immeasurable humility referenced in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, when Paul writes, He who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Some translations say something to be grasped, something to be held on to. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, not just a man, but a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbles himself by letting go of his entitled rights to live, to live in glory as God. And instead, he takes on the humility of human form, the form of a servant, and experiencing a criminal's death for us. Jesus also experiences immeasurable pain. One of its purposes is so that we know that we are not alone in our own pain. In Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, it reads, therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Sunday, we um, learned about Jesus entering Jerusalem. And it was you know, a big deal, big celebration. And Jesus gets to the temple, and he sees that people in the temple have been acted up, to put it lightly. Um, and it's one of probably the more angrier displays we see of Jesus in Scripture. Um, but Jesus arrived at the temple, and he saw God's people being exploited, and he was justifiably angry. Jesus suffers with us in his anger toward abuse in the church. Jesus was having a meal with his closest friends, his closest circle of people, only to have Judas leave, not to mention have Peter deny that he had any association with Jesus later that same night. Jesus suffers with us and that he has felt the sting of betrayal by someone close to him. As they left the meal, they went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray the place where Jesus would eventually be handed over to his accusers. All of the disciples entered the garden together. But Peter, James, and John went further with Jesus into the garden as, as Jesus went to pray. And Jesus told them in Matthew 26, 38, he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus suffers with us in that knowing 
that he is coming face to face with the sorrow that he's bearing. He knows that it's not a sign of it's not a sign of weakness to admit that he doesn't want to face that sorrow alone. And finally, here, before he's taken away, Jesus prays to the Father. And our sinless Savior, who has come down to be our atonement, he's not above asking God for another way to complete his mission. Yet, at the end of his prayer, he submits that he is willing to surrender to God's will and plan for redemption. Jesus suffers with us and that he knows what it's like to hesitate when staring in the face of inevitable pain. He also sets forth a beautiful example for us in that he views God's will and God's plan as better, whatever it may end up being. Jesus understands our pain and he understands our anxieties because he suffered them too. The Son of God suffers with us. But our last observation, I know this is happening really fast, but you know what? I'm sorry. Um, Or you're welcome, however you want to take that. Um, The Son of God suffers with us. But our last observation, and the most important one is this. The Son of God suffers in our place. You and I are incapable of atoning for our own sins. We cannot make things right on our own. We do not possess the ability or sinlessness needed to atone for the sin in our lives, let alone the sins of all humanity. We are so surrounded by our own sin as a people, it's, it's like sin is our job or something. Um, and you know what scripture says about that? The paycheck for that job is death. We owe a debt that we cannot pay. But in the words of uh, Pastor Charles Spurgeon, he said a long time ago, let not your sense of sin make you think little of my master. You are a great sinner, but he is a greater savior. We are reminded of the consequences of sin in the book of Romans, but at the same time of that reminder, we're also delivered a great promise. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God gave up everything for us to atone for what was broken, to reforge a path that had been severed long, long ago. He paid a debt that he didn't owe. He sent his son to die. Jesus was a victim of injustice, rejected by the people who were just celebrating him a week before. He was beaten, tortured, and publicly humiliated. And when he was raised on the cross, the sinless son of God, being executed like a criminal, hanging between two other criminals, Jesus looked out on the people cursing and jeering him and asked God to forgive them. As he hanged there dying, the very foundations of personal, practical, and supernatural life are being completely thrown out of balance. Supernaturally, the sky went dark from noon to three in the afternoon. I'm no scientist, but I'm fairly certain solar eclipses do not last for three hours. It didn't go cloudy for three hours. It went dark. We all know the difference. The light of the world was leaving the world and the very world God created mourned along as well. Practically, the curtain and the temple, a physical and symbolic barrier between the presence of God and his people was torn in half. It was torn from top to bottom, by the way, 
signifying that the terror started in the direction of God and came down to us. Because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there is no longer a need for separation between us and God. Placing our faith in the person of Jesus Christ will reconcile us back to God. And it's worth mentioning personally. Most gospel accounts have a Roman centurion uh, being the first to speak after Jesus breathes his last breath. And this centurion confesses that this was truly the Son of God. Some translations just say he was really righteous. Some of the other um, gospels uh, say that he confesses that he was truly the Son of God. A Roman centurion, a military commander, a man who's witnessing, a man who witnessing death and murder was just like Tuesday for him, is shook by one crucifixion. Remember, this method of execution was common for the Romans. This was not the first crucifixion he saw, and it probably wasn't his last either. But this event had a major impact on a Gentile Roman military commander who had no choice but to recognize the supremacy of Christ in that moment. The suffering of Jesus was indeed great. But praise God, because of it, our salvation is now possible. If we are to place our faith in Christ, if we're to accept the forgiveness of our sins that his death offers us, then it is imperative that we take time to remember what Jesus has done. And that is what we do when we observe communion together as a church. Communion is um, it's one of two, two things we observe in the church that, that we refer to as uh, sacraments. Um, a sacrament is something that is particularly significant. It's a particularly significant act that is to be a visible symbol of the reality of God, as well as a channel or a representation of God's grace. At Story City, we partake in that here with communion and also with baptism. Those, those are two activities that are representative of the grace given to us because of the work of Jesus Christ. We observe these two sacraments because we believe them to be given to us by the example of Jesus Christ himself. And as such, this is not something to be taken lightly. So as a result, I want you to know that when we observe communion, and that's something we'll be doing here tonight in the next few minutes. When we observe communion, we reserve this practice for only those who proclaim that they apprentice Jesus in their daily lives. So if that doesn't describe you, if you still have questions about Jesus, about what it means to follow Jesus, I'm really glad you're here. Um, but I would ask that you abstain from partaking in communion tonight. If you'd like to speak to someone about what it means to follow Jesus, we do have people here tonight too who will do that with you. Um, once we get started, they'll be on the sides of the room and they'll be very easy to find. So um, they'll be glad to pray with you regarding whatever you may be facing. And they can help you if you're interested in pursuing Jesus further. The next thing that is important for me as a deliverer of God's word to communicate to you is that if you are someone who claims to apprentice Jesus and you intend on participating in communion this evening, scripture urges you to examine yourself before partaking. We are warned that if we take this sacrament in what Paul refers to as an unworthy manner or without discerning the body of Christ, then we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. Simply put, if there is something that you know is preventing you from walking with Jesus in the manner which you are supposed to be doing, be it a conflict with God, a conflict with your husband or wife or child, uh, or a neighbor, I, I urge you to postpone taking communion tonight. And instead, use this time to go make things right.
attempt to restore fellowship where it is broken. And in doing so, we can all celebrate with you the next time we take communion together, for taking the elements will then be under the occasion of healed relationships. Let me pray, and um, once I do, uh, each side can go gather their elements, and I'll ask you to return to your seat and wait uh, for everyone to be seated as I'll lead us in taking the communion elements together. Let's pray. Lord, your suffering is great. And you know and walk with us in our suffering as well. Lord, we thank you. We recognize, we remember what you gave for us so that our sins could be atoned for so that we could be restored to you, so this relationship could be reforged and we could walk in community together again. What I pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight, whatever pain they might be facing, physical, mental, emotional, relational, that they would know that they have a savior who has come to stand inside their pain that they do not face anything alone, that you walk before us, but you also walk beside us, and that all we need to do is place our faith in you, and you will restore us to God, and you will give us a place to take these burdens that we were not meant to carry alone. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We remember you. In Christ's name, amen. Feel free to um, go retrieve your uh, communion elements and we'll meet back here.
received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Scripture tells us that after they were done with their meal, they sang a song before they left. So tonight, we're going to do the same thing.
Jesus, you are worthy. We thank you for your blood. Thank you for pursuing us and dying on the cross to pay the price that we could not pay. This is the cost, and you willingly bore it. We worship you, we praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I hope tonight is felt different tonally for everyone who regularly attends here at Story City. Uh, that, that was on purpose. This event, the nexus point of human history, carries with it a lot of gravity, and that shouldn't be ignored. It is my hope tonight, between now and Sunday morning, all of you find moments to sit in that reality. Thank you for coming tonight, and I want to leave you with this, a quote from Pastor S.M. Lockridge. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. My king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death is won. Sin has conquered. And Satan's laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier, a soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. Go and be the church. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.